The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Uh, joining me this morning is Frederica Fabritius, author of The Leading Brain, Powerful Science-Based Strategies for Achieving Peak Performance. Frederica is a neuroscientist and a, a an executive coach and a leadership specialist. She has extensive expertise working with top executives from many multinational corporations. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Frederica. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Catherine. So today we're going to be talking about your book. We're going to be talking about the leading brain. Uh, and as I understand it, Frederica, uh, a, sort of what you describe as a quiet revolution is occurring in the art of successful leadership. Um, and that's kind of in, in light of what you what your book is about. Uh, this is thanks to discoveries in the field of cognitive neuroscience. So because of that, we have an unprecedented understanding of how the brain behaves in a variety of workplace scenarios. So explain that to us. What does that actually mean? Uh, you know, translate that, you know, how we have now the opportunity to be successful leaders as a result of all this cognitive neuroscience that we've discovered about how our brains work and how leadership works. Yes, um, it's a very fascinating topic because neuroscience is making so many new findings recently. You, you know, every day a new study is coming out. And if you look at performance, most companies want high-performing people working for them. And uh, we can see that the part of our brain that is responsible for a high-performing brain is the prefrontal cortex. That's what we use for rational thinking and logical thinking and decision-making. And we want to make sure that this part of the brain works optimally for people. And there's, you know, three substances or three neurochemicals in the brain that are really relevant for this. And I call this the DNA of peak performance. It's dopamine, noradrenaline, and acetylcholine. Um, okay. I can tell you more about those. Um, yeah, well, you can tell us. We're, we're, we're a, a lay audience, so we don't want to get too scientific. We want to be able to translate this into yeah. stuff we can really use in our businesses, whether it's a big corporation or a small business. But what does this mean yeah. just in terms? Yeah. I, I can explain for you. We can also call it fun, fear, and focus which would be the, you know, the translation of this, what we usually need in order to perform well. First of all, we need to have fun. And this might be counterintuitive to many people because they think, you know, these people that are working for me, they're not supposed to have fun at work. They're here to work, right? You want these people to, to do a good job. But actually, brain research shows us that when people are having fun at work and enjoy what they're doing, a substance is released in the brain that is called dopamine, 
And when dopamine is released, we are feeling good, but also our brain will work much more efficiently. So we need the fun aspect. And I'm not talking about the after work party or having fun with your co-workers chatting over a coffee. You know, it's, you should be having fun while you're performing the task at hand. Um, so, you should so when you say find he's performing the task yeah. at hand, you should not be going to work every day or waking up in the morning feeling, I really don't want to do this. I have to get by. I have to get by my eight hours or whatever I do. And, and so you want to be able to have, but can you explain fun? Yeah, it's not having drinks after work with your coworkers or I guess, yeah. you know, have you know, birthday parties for people at the office. What is it? What's the fun you're supposed to be having? Yeah, I think it has two aspects. One of them is that if you're good at what you're doing, if you have a natural talent in the area you're working in, you're very likely to be having fun at work. Let's say you as a radio host, you probably have a natural ability with words. You're probably very talented at language. So, and you're probably very interested in people. So those two talents and um, strengths of you are a good use in your job. Let's say if you were a number person, and I don't know yet, well, so I'm just trying to make a point. Let's say you were a number person and you hated interacting with people. This would obviously be a job you wouldn't enjoy. You know, it's probably a job for somebody who's very good at language and interacting with people and hope that if you're good at something, then normally you also enjoy that. So the one yeah, that's a great example. That, yeah. And you, yeah, that's you a good example, about, because if I yeah, if I were in an engineering position, that would not make me happy because I like to interact with people. And an engineer probably wouldn't necessarily want to be sitting here talking to people day after day. Exactly. Okay, that's a great... So, so one thing you need to know is what are your strengths? What are you really good at? What are your natural abilities? And then you should find a work environment that matches your talents. So rather than trying to change who we are, it's always more effective to go with our natural talents. Um, and the second part is you're a big influencing factor on whether people are having fun at work is whether they are surrounded by people who treat them well. So, you know, in your example, it would be how do you get along with your producer, with your radio network, um, things like that influence a lot um, how well we do a job. You know, let's say you love your job but you are surrounded by colleagues and co-workers that don't spread an atmosphere of trust and collaboration and fairness, then you're not going to enjoy your job either. So those two aspects need to be aligned. You need to have a talent for what you're doing, and you need to be surrounded by a workplace environment by people you trust and enjoy working with. So specifically, like in that case, let's say you, you do like your work. You like being uh, interviewing people on the radio. <clears throat> but you're in the wrong place. You're at the wrong uh, station, let's say. So you should move. It's not it's, you maintain, you know, you know, you like what you do, but perhaps you shouldn't stay at that organization and you should move on to something else, to one where you, as exactly. you say, you have a trust. Yeah. And okay. where you appreciate it for who you are. Very often people come to my, into my coaching office and say, you know, I have such a stressful life. I have an awful boss. My wife tries to divorce me. Um, I hate my job. Please help me with emotional regulation strategies. You know, can I learn to meditate or can you help me with mindfulness practice? And I say, no, let's look at your environment and fix that. That's way more efficient. And people are not, yes, people can change. But on the other hand, it's much easier 
if you change in line with your strengths. You, for example, you can work on yourself to become a better and better radio host every year, every day, and this would make you very successful, but you're not going to change into somebody you're not. So, you know, rather than trying to meditate and stay calm no matter what, I always recommend that people take charge of the actual life situation. Good advice. Okay, so then what next? What do we have to do? Um, yeah, that's it's sort this of the fun yeah. aspect. And then we have the fear aspect. And this might sound counter, you know, exactly the opposite of what I said before, but I'm not talking about the stress that destroys you. When we have a healthy challenge, we are in an environment where we are slightly over-challenged, where people always raise the stakes. That's when a substance is released in the brain that is called noradrenaline. And noradrenaline makes us perform better. It pushes our prefrontal cortex to, to work better. If you look at performing artists, for example, they don't perform the same pieces over and over and over and over again. The audience might ask for it. You know, you might have well, a certain, let's say, Lang Lang, the piano player, People love a certain piece he's playing, but he has to have variety in his performance because otherwise he would be bored. He would go through the motions and he would do well and people might like it, but deep inside he would be bored. And when people are bored at work, they don't perform optimally. Let's say in your case, um, if you were to interview the same person every day, that would be a very boring life. And then you would just sit there and maybe paint your fingernails while you're talking to the person, just kind of asking the same questions over and over again. People who listen to your show might even think you're doing a very good job, but you wouldn't be performing at your best. So we need maybe to maybe you're explaining something to me. Yeah. I went to a just went to a uh, Bob Dylan concert and uh, I've been a fan for <clears throat> many many years. And he we went to the this was a concert that was in Boston and he you know everybody was sitting there waiting him for him to play the same songs that we know that everybody's so familiar with and he didn't do that and he was playing all these new songs well everybody was actually quite disappointed but I guess maybe he was doing what you're talking about he didn't you know that that's the kind of thing he does so that he keeps up that energy at age 75 or 80 or whatever I'm not sure exactly how old he is but uh, making changes to keep it new and um, even though the audience was somewhat disappointed but uh, I um, so maybe it does explain that concept yeah. for me but that's interesting yeah yeah, you need to move on. And, and in a business context, if you're in the same role for too long, you might go through the motions and you perform well. But on a personal level, you don't develop. And we need that development. We are wired to develop. So we need a healthy challenge. You need to have higher challenges every year. And I'm not saying that your boss has to impose that on you and say, okay, you did well in this, now let's make it more difficult. There needs to be an intrinsic motivation to that as well. It needs to be something you always wanted to do. And, you know, in your case, it could be presenting at a very big, important radio station that you always dreamed of being a part of or something like this or moderating, hosting a show that a lot of people are watching or listening to, something like that, that is just a little bit more difficult or challenging than what you did before. So, um, Frederica, what you're saying is when you do that, then you all of these sort of uh, chemicals in your brain start working when you begin to make the changes that you're talking about if you're dissatisfied, not happy with your work, or fearful or distrustful. And once you make changes to the, that kind of context or environment, 
your brain automatically changes and then you're able to perform at peak performance? Exactly, exactly. And it's so interesting because when people look at performance, you know, it's, it's so hard to measure what makes a good performance. But from a brain perspective, we can really identify a, a brain stage that is also called flow. And when you're in flow, you lose the concept of time, you're fully present in the moment, and you really enjoy what you're doing. And when people are in a flow state, they are seven times more productive than in their usual state, brain state. So it really pays off for companies to have employees that get into flow on a daily basis. And I'm not saying you have to be in flow all day long. This doesn't work. It depletes your resources. But if you take the example of um, Bob Dylan... He, you know, he can do lots of things all day long. As long as the one hour that he's performing in the evening, that's an hour where he probably gets into flow. And he won't get into flow if he always plays the same old pieces. And he probably needs that flow feeling because he's an artist, and artists um, experience a lot of flow. And um, that is a concept. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So an artist needs flow, in other words, to, uh, yeah, I I get that. All right. I also like, give us some more examples, because then you have some very specific things, what happens in your, what what one needs to do in order to uh, achieve peak performance. And there are so many of them in the book. Uh, Yeah. Let's take some of the key ones. uh, Yeah. We had the fun. Um, We now have the fear. And the third one is the focus. Let's say that you were texting to your friend um, while we were talking on this radio show. It wouldn't be a very good thing. You know, you want to be fully focused. Um, And I'm not going to feed my baby while I'm talking to you on the show. I'm fully focused on talking to you. And that is something that is more and more getting neglected in a business context because people are always checking their emails and they're getting so many co-workers chatting to them during the day in these open office spaces. And people hardly ever get a chance to just have a moment um, to have what I call a meeting of one you need to be fully focused and think about your ideas and really focus on what you want to do. And you need the fun, you need the fear, and you need the focus in order to perform well. Because for the focus, another substance is released in the brain, and that is called acetylcholine. And acetylcholine helps our brain to learn and to develop and to um, perform better as well. It seems to me, and you, you just touching on it, it, it seems to me that as a culture, uh, we are doing, we are doing less focusing. I mean, that seem, it's getting worse, not better. I mean, I could be on the phone talking to someone about business, and then I also am in front of my computer, and I know they are too, and I can sense that they are doing something else, let's say, or they are doing something on their computer when we're having a discussion or a conversation. And it may not bode well for the person, but also for the person you're doing business with. You can tell when someone isn't focused, or I can tell when someone isn't yes. focused. Uh, yeah. And, so, and the funny thing is that our prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain for performance, is not able to digest or process two tasks simultaneously. So what you're actually doing when you multitask is that you switch between tasks very quickly. And this costs our brain a lot of energy. It's not even very efficient to do so. It's better to do one thing and then do the next and to to not try to do everything at once. 
give us examples, like in your practice. I mean, you're an executive coach. Uh, when, you know, clients have come in and they've had this particular problem in different areas, in different, you know, in different types of mm-hmm. businesses, um, what the presenting problem was and, and how you help them to, to focus or to be able to focus. Yes, with the focus, one thing that I really, um, well, most, most of my, um, clients, the problem is the same. They are, in, and you know, I mostly work for companies, large companies, Fortune 500 companies, and the C-level or below. And these people have constantly new emails, constantly meetings, challenges every day, and they are just travel a lot, never get any rest. Um, many of them are very stressed out. Um, or, you know, maybe they won't admit it in a public setting, but when they come talking to me, that, that's what they might say. And what I usually recommend is um, exercise, physical exercise. Um, that's the most efficient way to um, get that balance of neurochemicals in your brain right, because when we exercise, lots of substances are released. One is dopamine that we talked about before that gives you the joy. Um, you also reduce cortisol from your bloodstream and cortisol is a negative stress hormone that will um, really um, make your prefrontal cortex shrink. So when people have stress over a prolonged period of time, their brain shrinks. Think about it. So exercise helps to prevent that. Now, when people exercise regularly, also um, a substance is released that is called the brain-derived neurotrophic growth factor, and it helps you to grow new neurons and your nerve cells. How does so the this best fit thing into... to train your brain is actually not some kind of, you know, not doing Sudoku and crosswords puzzles, but the best thing to do for your brain is to be physically active. Frederica, how does this fit into our present political situation, let's say here in the United States, for instance, with a president who is constantly tweeting and going back and forth, tweeting every day and, you know, tweet rampages and talking yeah. about different things? You know, so, you know what my opinion... <laughs> but, yeah, what, I'd like your opinion. What is it? Yeah, um, for me, you know, as a brain scientist, many people ask me, you know, what's going on in Trump's brain, um, on, you know... I think very clearly has a problem with executive functions and what are executive functions. The prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that um, is important for decision-making and rational thinking, is also important for inhibition. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about cognitive suppression. Let's say you want to do something and then you don't. That kind of, um, you know, delayed gratification. Um, I think he... Um, he might experience some difficulties in that area. And uh, to give you one famous example, there's the marshmallow test. Um, in the 60s, they made an experiment where they asked people, children, four to five years um, age, so preschoolers, um, would you rather have a marshmallow now or wait 15 minutes and then get two marshmallows? And the children that waited the 15 minutes for the two marshmallows, they were also way more successful later in life. So it was a predictor of their executive functions and their ability to delay gratification. And I think Trump is experiencing some difficulties in that area. 
What would you say to people, because I find this fascinating, let's say, well, this person, Trump is, was a businessman and he made all this money, uh, and so he was able to do it in, to, I guess, use some of these skills that you're talking about in a different context, but isn't, we were talking about context before, but can't do it in this context, because it's a very different context being President of the United States or being the CEO of your own business, which is a, a private business. Does that yes, make sense? and you know when you when you look at powerful leaders, there are different substances in their brains that are higher than in other people. They usually have high testosterone levels because you don't become president of the United States without the testosterone, without the will to succeed. You know, if you rather lay on the beach in a chair and read a book, you don't become the president of the United States. So, regardless of your intelligence, you need a certain drive to to succeed. So I think you know he has. So if you if you need testosterone, level. if you need testosterone, then Hillary then didn't have a chance, or at least you no, have to no, be postmenopausal, no. I guess. Have, it's such an interesting question because I think Hillary, um, she probably has very high testosterone levels, and I'm not saying that you know it's, it's some women have high testosterone levels, and that doesn't make them dysfunctional or sick because both women and men have testosterone. And there are also men with low testosterone levels and women with high testosterone levels. And I would definitely um, think that Hillary has quite a healthy dose of testosterone, and that's why she was running for president, among other things. So most women actually, and, and I have access to some research that is not published yet, but most women in um, executive positions and institutions that are high up in the hierarchy very often have very high testosterone levels. And I think this is a problem because the so-called diversity that many companies are looking for, you know, is only looking at hiring women that act more like men. And I don't think that's what companies need. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with these women. I'm, not, I'm just saying if you want more women in organizations, you don't, you can't impose the same work environment on these women as on men. I think you need to change, again, not the women to act more like men, but you need to make a work environment in which women can be successful um, and enjoy their work. Well, give you know us an I example mean? of that. So what, so you're saying, let me, I just want to clarify, because so you are saying that so it's not that women have to sort of jack up their testosterone and take on jobs that men are better at, but use our estrogen in a context in a, in a company where those our skills would be better used, given who we are. Yeah, give, yeah. yeah. Give I us can an give example. You an example. When yeah. people have high testosterone levels and also high dopamine levels, um, they become something that is called sensation seekers. Um, they love the thrill. They're constantly running for the next big challenge. They're looking for exciting new things, and they have a lot of things going on at once. And very, men, very many men have this um, combination of testosterone and dopamine. So they love in a work environment, which is a lot of risk-taking and a lot of pressure and a lot of traveling, and they go for these high-power jobs. So... These companies that have these men in these positions, they come in and say, oh, what about taking on more women in leadership positions? And what they do is to recruit women that have a similar neurogenetic profile. And what I suggest instead is that you need to create a work environment in which both the sensation seekers, so the people who love 
the very busy work environment and the constant challenges are happy, but also the people who prefer more quiet, more structured, more, um, how do I put this, more regulated work environment should be successful as well. And, and because there's no difference in intelligence level between the sensation seekers, the very ambitious and driven people, and the people who prefer a more quiet way of working. And at the moment, I see that there's a very unfair advantage for people who are, um, you know, more power-driven. And I think, well, to give you a very specific example, when I worked at McKinsey for a couple of years ago, for several years, they have the same problem that there's not so many women there. It's mostly men. And you travel five days a week and all of that. And I went through a women training, and what they basically helped us to do was to um, become more like men. They said, you know, lower your voice and tap those guys on the back. And, and what's very useful, and I'm using some of that stuff, but I will never, you know, I, I don't want to play a role at work. I don't want to pretend I'm somebody I'm not. And I think um, in order to get more women into organizations, you need to change the workplace. You need to make it more fr- women-friendly rather than trying to teach the women how to succeed in a very men-friendly environment. Uh, that's kind of a revolutionary. Is it revolutionary? I mean, I have had a lot of people on my show, people in, in executive coaches, and I've never really heard anybody say it, obviously, in the way you have, and that's why you wrote your book. What's the response of some of these? Because you do, you work with these Fortune 500 companies. What mm-hmm. is their response initially? Like, hey, you know, I mean, is there a pushback? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Well, I mean, they, they are often very, very surprised because they've never looked at it from a neurochemical perspective. They have all these diversity departments and they have people trying. At, for example, when I was at McKinsey, we had a network for women. That was great. You know, I had a, net, I had a, a mentor who was a female mentor and she was basically like a man. She was one of these people with a very, women with a very high testosterone level. So her advice was not valid to me at all because when I called her and said, you know, I'm kind of working very long hours and it's kind of a bit stressful here and what am I going to do? She was just like, fuck it up. You know, you get used to it. And that's not the kind of answer I wanted to hear. Um, and I dropped out. I decided not, you know, not to do consulting anymore because it's just not in style with my needs. And I think companies are now slowly catching up on that, that they don't have to change the women. It's useless to recruit women for positions where they can't be successful. I don't want to travel five days a week. I don't want to have 15 meetings every day. But that doesn't make me a stupid, non-performing person. And I think companies need to understand that there's different profiles to high performance and they need to accommodate those and allow for more flexible work environments. Well, we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to be sure that people, because it's really fascinating stuff that you're doing and working on, and the book, The Leading Brain, Powerful Science-Based Strategies for Achieving Peak Performance. And we're talking to Frederica Fabritius. And could you just give us a website that we can go to to get more information about the book, about you, and about what you're doing? Yes, it's www.fabulousbrain.com. And that's and it. You can also write me an email. I'm happy to answer any more questions. Um, you know, it's a fascinating subject, and I, I love talking about it. It is fascinating. And uh, 
I, I, I want to say, I just I recommend again, people really, you need to get the book, The Leading Brain. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. It was great talking to you. Thank you, Catherine. Have a great day. Yep, you too. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. I'm talking to Stephanie Rodriguez, digital marketer, as I said, and a digital goddess. Uh, the topic today is <laughs> can new tech tools empower women, girls to be safer, and finally avoid human trafficking? Um, while trafficking can impact any gender, women and girls are overwhelmingly the majority of victims in this area, often being used for illegal sexual crimes. Stephanie, uh, an award-winning digital marker, marketer, has created a, quote, woman, women's only travel portal that leverages highly advanced intelligence and data solutions to drive more protection, transparency, and safety for women. And I'm going to spell this for you because the website is J-O-Z-U for women, which uses artificial intelligence. Um, we're getting pretty complicated here. That goes beyond what traditional travel sites offer, and it's uniquely designed to enhance safety for female travelers, alerting them to danger zones in various countries. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today, Stephanie. Good to be here. Okay, so that's a mouthful. We're sort of taking the work that you do. You travel all over right. the world. Yeah, So, and you, you have a site for women, and this site alerts them to danger zones while they're traveling, et cetera. And so then we're going to, let's talk about that first, and then we can get into sure. how that can, yeah, okay. So uh, talk to us about the site and what it is and how it, what it does for us, what, what, it, can, what it does for sure. women who, tra- I travel a lot too all over the world, so I'm really interested in this topic. Yeah. 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 Well, the, I think the, the real um, beauty behind Jozu is the fact that um, is the fact that uh, one the information that we have online. Um, oh, we're getting a feedback here. I think that uh, the, the real beauty of what you know what we do is about the information that we're able to put in one place and curate. The internet left me, as far as on trip sites and review sites, 
um, a bit lacking because the information that you would read, you, you, there was no transparency to it. Um, for example, someone's version of clean uh, is very different than mine or par- perhaps even yours. Um, locations. Um, men travel quite um, physiologically. Uh, they're very satisfied with Wi-Fi, a pool, a pub, more good, a bed, shower, basics, um, whereas women are far more experiential, especially with vacations because so much goes into that. Women make more than 85% of the vacation purchase decisions regardless of his credit card. So in business travel, often you're stuck wherever your company has a per diem. But when it comes to leisure and the statistics tell us that more women are traveling solo. I think last year there were 35 million women in the U.S. who took a solo trip. And 38% of that 35 would do more than five that year. So we have a rising trend of women traveling that don't have enough information. Um, and, and some of it could just not necessarily be about the hotel's brick and mortar. Um, a good example of that, Catherine, was a trip that I was taking. I was consulting to a very large airport caterer in the UK and they had a, um, an office in Geneva and I went to Geneva and booked online and I neither speak French or Swiss German very well. So I was dependent on what the internet would tell me to book. Um, I, I found a hotel with good Wi-Fi, clean rooms, that, and it, it had all of those things that it stated, but what it did not tell me was that hotel was in the middle of the red light district and I was terrified to walk out of my hotel in daylight. So That's it was group, kind of yeah. at that aha moment that I went, there's got to be a better way because it, it just actually, it just made me mad <laughs> that I, why don't I know this? Why isn't it written anywhere? And the, and the other, you know, the other side of that is with so much about vacations being experiential and women caring, if you listen to the way women talk about their vacations, it's not about, oh, we had the 300 thread count sheets at the Sheraton. No, it's we met the nicest people by the pool. Or, you know, we had this great experience and we did something special. We met someone. We, we pulled a bunch of women at the beginning of our research about Joe Zoo, and it's pronounced Joe Zoo, like Joe, the man's name, and Zoo, like where animals are. So Joe Zoo. Um, we pulled a bunch of women and found out that more than 87% expect to meet someone new on their trip. They don't know where, but it's almost a positive expectation that they're going to make a new friend. Um, so we looked at there being safety in numbers, something really simple, and that knowledge is power. So we thought if we could create a place where women could review tourist destinations and places that they've been and share that knowledge, that we would create kind of almost a, a greater connectivity and empower women to travel more because they could assess whether or not um, that the information that they were getting was appropriate for them by their gender, by their preferences. I mean, a woman is not a woman is not a woman. Like a 21-year-old and a, and a 47-year-old aren't the same with the same taste. But that's where our AI comes into it. Her name is Jenny, and Jenny is like Siri and Alexa, and those are two common AIs or, or, um, or interfaces that we get more comfortable with with every smartphone we pick up. But Jenny um, observes and notes who you are and what your preferences are. And so if you and I have a similar data footprint, like maybe we're the same age, maybe we've, we are equally experienced at travel, we like the same things like yoga or wine or gourmet food, and you were asking a question, Jenny would recommend that you check my, out my profile, um, one, to see how credible I was, and secondly, um, to find out if I perhaps held knowledge that would help you. So that's kind of so, the interface, if you would, detecting it all. 
Okay, well, you said women, all women are not the same, which is true. Uh, all women have not had the same experiences traveling. It's different demographics. 22-year-olds yep. probably want to go to different places than 70-year-olds. Yeah. So can we, like, break it down and like, in different categories, like, which is sure. what I'm, you do? Uh, for instance, well, let's say age. Uh, you know, is, would it be like, say, if you're 22 and you're traveling alone, is going out to this club or this bar safe? Uh, is going out to yep. a certain... Okay, that would be something I would think in, like, say, in the in your twenties at least, that you would want to do that. Yeah, um, that's, that's part of it. And where can where can my girlfriends and I go that we won't attract unnecessary attention? That is a big theme in our research of young ladies who felt that you know there were certain parts of a city where, and it was unbeknownst to them. One of my uh, investors actually told me a story of a female colleague in Macau, and her secretary booked her a hotel in Macau that uh, was close to her meeting. So the secretary goes online, books the room. The lady shows up. She's walking through the lobby, and a man propositions her, and she was, like, offended. Then she gets in a lift, and a man gropes her. She's going, what the heck is going on? And come to find out, that hotel was known for prostitutes. And she was a businesswoman. <laughs> and the, the advances that she was getting was because if you were a woman in this hotel at this time, you were clearly not there uh, as, as, a, as, a, as an investment banker, <laughs> you were there for uh, a certain amount of trade. And, and this is a true story. So just in places where you're, it might not be appropriate for you, um, unless you want that kind of attention, but that kind of knowledge, I think, as well as something that will keep women safer. So you have to have the, obviously you have to have the knowledge. Also, I'm thinking about, you know, you're talking about traveling to, 49 countries or whatever you also culture comes into play as well too do you talk about that on the website because it's in different yeah. cultures you know what you what you don't want to sure. stand out now i've always i mean i think just now particularly travel for it, probably everyone one does not want to stand out wherever you go um and exactly. I, I notice yeah and I, when i travel for instance and um you know you don't want to wear Jewelry, even in places if you're staying at a four or five star hotel, and I, I notice this with people, people, they don't wear jewelry anymore. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to have that gold necklace or, bla you know, bracelet or whatever. Um, those kinds of things. So they're different in different countries, but still there are some trends, I think, that at least I see when I travel. Yes, and the, the appropriateness of, of dress and certain customs and cultures, I mean, it's exactly once the site is more evolved because we literally launched on International Women's Day. So as we're growing new members, we've done a couple of unique things to help uh, make sure the quality of the, of the information that's there is very high. So we've approached the tourism boards for every single place that our users might want to go in our first instances the official tourism boards, let's say, of the Caribbean and the, the islands, etc., and said, please have a representative join the platform, one of your females from your marketing team or comms team, and then we're going to give you a special badge and we're going to call you a guru because then if there's a question about, you know, what is culturally appropriate or do you shake a man's hand or is it okay to wear short sleeves or a skirt, you know, these types of things about dress code to, to respect cultures, especially traveling to the Middle East, it's, it's very important to know. But either that one of the members, and that's the beautiful thing about community, is allows for peer-to-peer -peer help, and it encourages it. And Jenny goes and finds that person who's been there based on when you sign up, you'll fill out a little survey. The survey has questions. It says, tell us where you've been. And as you do it, she goes, tick, 
tick, tick. Okay, now I know that if someone has a qu- question about Germany and, and Catherine's been there, then it, she, the, the answer will come to you and it'll say, can you help this person? And Jenny constantly is recommending people for you to follow. So your user experience with Jozu is richer because you, you get to meet other travelers. Um, we gender profile, so we do use technology to filter genders just so that the, the first step of safety is that we have transparency like amongst the information that you're getting. You get to see the speaker. There are no anonymous profiles and uh, you know, ghost profiles and a cat picture, no. Um, and that is so that you can, you can validate whether or not you want to take Steph's advice. Um, with my years of experience, with my hashtags, with my preferences, and the reviews I've written or the comments, and the amount of respect the community have for me, and my content that you decide whether you want to take it on board, but you might also be, want to message me and ask me a specific question. You know, you went to that, you went to that museum, what did you wear? Or if you went to that restaurant, do you have to dress up for it? So it will be the ability to, you know, go more granular into asking specific questions and somebody on the community helps you or somebody who's paid to advise tourists is actually there too. Can you, Stephanie, if you're actually, let's say, in country or in the city that you've traveled to, can you contact you when you're there because you may have a question? I mean, like, in in, in real time? Is that possible on the website or not? Yeah. Well, it is. we are a platform. So the first thing we did was we launched our website. And our website is um, underpinned by some robust technology. We have Lithium, which is our community layer. And Lithium is a responsive community. We have Amadeus, which is our travel agency booking engine. So we have all the same inventory as Expedia and Kayak and everyone else. So even though we're a brand new portal, we have like, you know, Ferrari engines underneath the hood and Relevate, which is our, our, our fulfillment partner. But, so the next step for us, our 2.0, which is coming out, is to launch our mobile app and our interface. We never want it to be an app because we're so much more than that. But the mobile app will have with it on-trip um, safety ratings in real time and near real time. So in addition, as you open up your location services, you'll be able to find out what other members have seen and said about where you are. It will ask you, do you feel safe? So the minute you check into a hotel you've booked through us, and we know you're there because we have your itinerary, Jenny's going to ask you a few preliminary questions. Did you arrive okay? Did it meet your expectations? Because that's about your experience, and it's a very personalized question for you. And then finally, it's going to say, do you feel safe? And if you say no, Jenny makes a market correction right there. Um, and that looks as to why. And we have some other technology partners that are enabling us that have data in real time about sentiment, about police records. Maybe there was a rape there two weeks ago and you don't know it. So, you know, why, why are you feeling unsafe? And to look at the information that the Internet has and being able to, you know, to give you advice to say perhaps you don't want to go down that road or you don't want to uh, visit that bar or, you know, go down that street. Or take that taxi cab, or even, uh, I mean... Exactly. Is it, yeah. no, 101 implications, or the, the shop owner's pleasy, you know? Don't use that change room. And it's funny, because I believe women will share this knowledge. We're, we're, it's in our DNA to do this, and we just haven't had a place where we could without fear of judgment of, oh, a man's going to think if I say this, I'm complaining, you know, because it offended me, or I don't feel safe. It was very funny when I was um, raising my venture capital round for our seed level, and I went to the Silicon Valley, and I met with a couple of VCs, and and they were men, and they literally laughed at me and said, really? Is safety, like, really a problem? And shook their heads. (laughs) 
That surprises me. And you're talking about young guys? You're talking about, you're talking about Silicon no, Valley? No, you're I'm talking, talking about VCs. Uh, I would put them over 40 and, uh, and parents. So, you know, they were, they were both parents and, and over 40. But the, I, the, they, looked, they literally looked at my slide deck and said, really? Safety is an issue for women traveling? Really? <laughs> and I just, I had to laugh. Yeah, I would call that, that's shocking. I mean, because if you're saying that they're over 40, they're parents, well, what about these kids who are daughters who want to go to, you know, the know. spring vacation, they go travel in the Caribbean, and a lot of stuff has happened, not good stuff, obviously. Been uh, yeah. some kidnappings and murders and all those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. it would seem to me that this would be, wow, this is like such a great thing. I think it's fast. I think it's fantastic. I, I, I um, Thank you. You know, yeah, never really, obviously, it's it's really what would you say? Cutting edge, yeah. So well, we were at South by Southwest, and one of the most beautiful things that happened. And I, you know, I travel a lot. One, one just because of my consulting, and now with Jozu. But we had a woman come up to our booth um, during our exhibiting day, and she said, "Of all the things I've seen here at South by Southwest, you are actually building something that's necessary. Well done." And that, for me, that was the greatest compliment of all: is that other women see how it's going to solve their problems and are grateful that someone, it's, it's as simple as, but that someone came up with the idea and pursued it to creating this safe place for women to exchange information about travel it, with, with some discretion, meaning in a place where there, there's no men, so you don't have to worry about getting stalked or that your comments are going to go unappreciated. Um, you know, and I, I get really funny, cute emails from the staff at Delta Airlines because I've been through their lounges so much recently in the U.S. And, you know, the, the ladies ask what I do and, 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 and what, why my T-shirt says Jozu. And then they send me these really lovely emails and thank me. And I'm just, you know, that, that's why I love what I do because somebody else appreciates it. What about, can you talk, and I think you mentioned one earlier in the interview, but like some of the worst uh, experiences that you've encountered, obviously, that have motivated you to come up with this, uh, you know, with your website and your portal. So what, what, I know, what's happened to you over the, you know, in terms of, you know, I don't know how old you are, but like at different stages of your travels yeah, and different stages well, of, uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's just say that I'm, I'm not far away from 50, so <laughs> framing that <laughs> All right, in not the, far uh, away the first from- set of travels. Not far away from 50, Catherine. Um, when I was traveling much younger, the first time I left the U.S., uh, I was modeling, and um, I was right, right just in between high school and college, I think, and went to Paris. And I, my mother was terrified I was going to get stolen and put in white slavery, and, and that, that's human trafficking. That was her fear. Um, and she felt, you know, I, I was unsafe. And I remember going uh, to someone's apartment in Paris, um, as a young lady, and of course there was wine, and this this host um, who had a, this party happening, um, you know, made me feel really uncomfortable. And I remember, like, one not speaking enough French to be able to tell anyone, and just how to manage that situation and elegantly escape. Um, and, and I did, but that was kind of a, you know, I, I certainly had my, my wherewithal about me to, to be mindful of, you know, strangers and strangers who appear to be friendly and, and things like that. Um, you know, handbags stolen off of chair in foreign country. That's a pretty, you know, that's a disaster. All of your credit cards, all your money, etc. And this is another, you know, it, this is a prelude to, human trafficking, as we were discussing, um, because once a woman doesn't have access to her information, then she needs help, and that's where she becomes vulnerable to, you know, needing somebody else to give her advice or give her help. 
Um, and, and, and these types of things have happened to me before, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, the, the hotel in, in Geneva, which was a turning point for me, um, another hotel in, uh, in Hong Kong, I was going to a conference and I booked late. So I stayed at a near, nearby hotel, which was right price point. Um, and I couldn't, first, the taxi driver who spoke Chinese, like, pretty much threw me out of a taxi with my checked luggage, my rollerboard luggage, and my handbag. So I'm there with, like, three bags, and I'm looking for a hotel I can't see, and a street that has no car access. And I'm totally confused. And I'm, I'm late for a meeting, and I'm, I'm frustrated, so I'm asking people, where's the hotel? And they just keep pointing and pointing down the street. So I wonder up the street... The hotel is located on the sixth floor of a building that you can only get to on a pedestrian alley. So first world problem is no, no, no assistance um, at, on arrival. So I get into the lift, get up to the sixth floor. The hotel is actually quite nice. However, at the conference, came back from the conference at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and that means I have to then walk up the street and then walk down the alley to actually get to the entrance of the hotel, which um, had a foyer and, and a lift. And the night watchman uh, decided that it was sleep time for him. So he had elegantly propped the door open, and he was asleep there with his feet up. (laughs) And I actually took a photo of it. I'm like, I don't feel safe, and I don't feel safe for this reason. And, yes, the hotel might be good, but anything can happen here. (laughs) And, uh, you know, again, it just just was another reason when someone say, how is this hotel, I would have to say, if you're alone, it's not good for you. The hotel's nice. It starts on the sixth floor. You'll never find it. But if you do, it's good. But it's better traveling with someone else versus coming up the And I think one of the things, night. I mean, the big thing that from your stories or from those two stories anyway, it's like that vulnerability. And as a woman, I think you, one all is going to experience that vulnerability Far more than men. I mean, it, I mean, I think that's just a fact. And then that's what you're talking about. You're sitting there. Well, you're talking about the your pocketbook. You've got all your identification and you've got your suitcase and, you know, you don't, you're so vulnerable because then the man or, or men can come over and, and, and want to help you. And do you accept help or do you not? I mean, those are, uh, you know, those kinds of situations anyway. So you don't want to be vulnerable or you want to minimize it as best you can. Absolutely. And, you know, with knowing where there is help, where, where to get good help. And that's another layer of Jozu is the fact that you can see the profile of the speaker, of the woman who's doing the talking. You can then evaluate whether or not she's, you know, she's, she's good to, to, uh, to ask or to follow. Um, you can share your story. Um, and then there'll be real-time safety ratings on the platform. So it'll tell you in real time what, what the the internet thinks of it, so sentiment coming from Twitter and other APIs, and then what the Jozu rating for it is. So we have our own internal rating system that by our members direct feedback. It's like TripAdvisor, but very different because we're asking different safety questions, uh, and it is really about safety. And from a woman, do you as a woman feel safe? Did you feel safe with your kids? I was um, in Bali, and there's a beautiful six-star hotel at the end of one beach, and I walked over there. Um, I was consulting to one of the hotel chains on the beach and went to this beautiful hotel for lunch, and I won't name it, um, but it was remarkable for its architecture, and it was just stunningly beautiful. And I was walking to the restaurant to go to brunch, and uh, it was disgusting like what was disgusting about it it was like full of 
Eastern European hookers and their partners. <laughs> and I have an 11-year-old boy, and I'm thinking to myself, beautiful hotel, yes, fits the brochure, but would I want to come and spend a day by the pool here with my child? No way. So even the, the experiential parts of it, do the guests speak English? Are they like me? Am I going to find being in the same space with them pleasant? It's nothing more ridiculous than going to a hotel where no one speaks English. Nobody except you. And there's no one to even make small chat, but you just can't understand anything anyone's saying. You know, someone can check you in English, but your, your experience is very limited. So even being able to ask experiential questions, like, is there a good guy who speaks English? Or, you know, uh, where's a great place to go that I can, I can feel comfortable as well as safe? And so Jozu serves a bunch of different purposes about creating great vacations that you can go with confidence because we've helped you get access to that information. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned so many different scenarios, and obviously there are so many more to talk about. I mean, we only have a few minutes left, but I was thinking, and I hadn't thought about that as well. I mean, women travel alone with children, and I've done that, travel with my two two of my boys. I have three boys through Europe, and a lot of that stuff came up. You know, traveling with children is different than traveling with a girlfriend. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, and or traveling alone, um, and it's different in different countries, and I really wouldn't have expected that in a six-star hotel. I know you're not going to tell us which one it was, but still, I'm thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> just to say, it's, it's just owned by Russians, you know? Google yeah. Noosa Dua Beach, Russians, and, and Six Star, and it's not hard to find. But, I mean, it was, again, the hotel's architecture was spectacular, and it was stunning, and I really wanted to see it. But I felt uncomfortable because of the other guests. So, you know, the things that, that a- any review site won't tell you if the guests are seedy. You know, that's one of the, yeah. they, they'll talk about the thread count and the view and the breakfast bar, but you won't get the rest of it. So in, in looking to find, okay, well, I like a bit of a lively crowd. Where is it lively and not full of geriatrics? Flip that question. It works just the same. So exactly. being able to connect with, with real-time information, with real people who've really been from a woman's point of view. Which yeah, I mean, I see this, the, the only difference they sometimes make is, you know, well, this is a business, this has more business travelers, or it has more, you know, tourists, but that, that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, two kind of general categories, but certainly don't break it down. And we have one minute left. So tell us, Jozu for Women, Stephanie Rodriguez, uh, she's the CEO, J-O-Z-U for Women. Um, anything else we need to know? Another website uh, in 30 seconds? JoZooForWomen.com. It's dozuforwomen.com. It's live. We invite members, women to come join the community. Um, you know, post a question, find a, fill out your profile and, and become a member and, and give back some of your travel knowledge. That's great. Cool. Yeah, that's Stephanie, so what a pleasure talking power. to you today. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, great. Thank yeah. you. Me too. Yeah. Interesting work you're doing. Uh, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.